Welcome to the Insurance Post podcast. I'm Emran Hughes, editor of Insurance Post, and today I'm joined by the British Insurance Brokers Association's David Sparks, Mazar Sarah Oabia, and DAC Beechcroft's Matthew Rutter to talk about insurers getting ready for the Financial Conduct Authority's consumer duty. Today on the Insurance Post podcast, we're delighted to have with us David Sparks, Head of Compliance of the British Insurance Brokers Association, Sarah Awabia, Partner at Mazars, and Matthew Rutter, DAC Beechcroft's Insurance Advisory Partner. They're going to share their views on the new consumer duty, as well as offer some advice on what steps need to be taken by insurers to meet the regulatory requirements. Hello, Matthew, David and Sarah. Welcome to the Insurance Post podcast. Hello, Emma. So, um, let's begin at the very beginning. Um, Matthew, could you give me a quick overview? What is the FCA's consumer duty? Uh, Good question. I mean, essentially, it's a a new 12th principle. So, since uh, the Financial Services and Markets Act came into force in 2001, we've had 11 principles. Uh, We've now got a 12th principle, which will apply, we'll probably touch on this later, but broadly for sort of consumer and some wholesale um, business. Um, so it and where it does where it applies, principles six and seven will be switched off. But it, essentially, this new principle, principle twelve, says that a firm must act to deliver good outcomes for retail clients. So in a nutshell, it's a sort of it's as high level as the other principles. But unusually, the FCA has actually expanded on that by having some sort of cross-cutting rules and four specific outcomes that it's looking to achieve, which is a very different approach from the approach it's taken for the other. Principles. So, what what they want to see is firms acting in good faith towards retail customers, avoiding foreseeable harm to retail customers, and enabling and supporting re- retail customers to pursue their financial objectives. So, those are the three things that they're looking to get out of it. Um, but of course, there's a lot of detail that then hangs off that, um, and I guess that's what we're going to be discussing today. So, David, what does the consumer duty require insurers to do? Well, essentially, it's uh, a step up from the existing obligations on insurers around uh, ensuring customers have a good outcomes, as, as Matthew's already mentioned. How you do that, though, comes down to the detail of it. So um, if you think about the where we are now as, an, as a sector, insurers should have a head start on other sectors because we had a number of the requirements under the outcomes, the products and services, the price and value outcomes already through the general insurance pricing practices work. So there is that element of Head Start, certainly for some firms, although I believe, certainly from our experience of working with insurers and brokers on these, some are more Head Start than others. Sarah, Sarah, where would you say insurers are at in terms of being ready for the consumer duty? Yeah, I mean, I would say this is probably a mixed bag. Some are more advanced than others, perhaps as you would expect. Um, It is true that for insurers, um, they already had some existing rules in Prod 4, um, which cover off two of the outcomes around products and services um, and the value outcome. Um, So insurers really need to focus on the customer understanding and customer support outcomes. Um, So, but but that being said, I would still say it's it's a mixed bag across the industry. I think the larger insurers, obviously, they've been working on this for a long time. I would say smaller end of the market, fewer resources. Um, Some of them are sadly 
lagging a little bit behind um, and it also requires the assistance of their distribution cha chains as well so um, and I think the level of understanding across the distribution chain is, is also sort of varies across across the industry. David would you agree that's is that what you're seeing in terms of the, the how prepared different sizes of firms are? Yes very much so certainly I think the where we saw with the uh, price and value and that the, the, the fair value assessments that the insurance industries had to go through, some of our more advanced uh, with preparing that than others. But also, I think one of the challenges we've had as a sector, and this will continue with the uh, consumer duty, is the lack of detailed prescription in the rules. So um, each insurer has made up their own mind what they need in terms of fair value for products. Um, and that's created a whole cottage industry around this. And Matthew, would you agree? Is that what your experience has been in terms of how prepared the industry is? Yes, I think as both Sarah and Dode have said, it, it is a mixed bag. Um, and yes, usually size is an indicator of how well prepared, but but not not infallibly. Um, but so so in terms of the question of what as an insurer you have to do now, very much depends on where are you starting from. Um, so uh, I think the FCA has said if if the insurers have done what they should have done in terms of uh, vulnerable customers, for example, then they've probably already done what they need for the consumer duty. But I suspect there are a number of insurers who you know, probably haven't done everything that they could have done. And even even if you think you have, I suspect it's one of these sort of ongoing processes that you can always look to improve. You can always you know finesse and whatever and learn from experience. Um, so. Uh, I don't think any insurer should be resting on its laurels and thinking, well, we're OK, we've done what we what we need to do. Um, and, and not only that, but I think the FCA is going to expect an analysis to have been carried out. So even if that's your conclusion, you're going to have to have a pretty substantial bit of work to show that that's why you've concluded that you don't need to do anything else. So, and that kind of leads me on to very nicely, what action should insurers be taking now? Is it should they have been beyond the analysis stage, hope, I imagine, by now? But if they haven't done that, I imagine that's the starting point. Yes, I mean, as always with any new sort of uh, rule or piece of legislation, it's a sort of impact analysis of how does this actually affect us. And um, not only are insurers starting from different places, but of course insurers operate in different sectors of the market. So you can get some, you know, some commercial insurers will only very marginally be touched by the consumer duty. And they might be thinking, well, actually, maybe we should be just adjusting the type of business we write in order to stay entirely out of it, for example. So I've been having conversations with a number of insurers along those lines. Others are squarely within it, don't have that option. But as you say, they ought to be looking at what, where they are now and where the, are the main areas that they need to you know, uh, up their game in terms of compliance. Um, it's a slightly awkward message to convey, but I don't think, I don't think any firm, you know, or including insurers, should be necessarily looking to achieve absolute perfection by the end of July. What they should be doing is prioritising the main areas where they think there is a weakness and focusing on those. Um, that's probably the, the, the most uh, the, the key thing they hopefully would have done by now. Uh, and also, as Sarah referred to, I think there's a lot of work where you have a distribution chain where you're not in control of the outcome that's delivered to the customer, somebody else, or indeed multiple other people in the chain may be. And that's going to be quite a bit of a challenge, I think, for insurers at the top of the chain to ensure that what, what they think should be happening is actually happening. Dave, what action would you advise? I mean, um, as Matthew touched on there, organisations will be at different stages of their journeys. So what would you advise? Yes, very much. And I certainly within the requirements that the FCA set, um, firms should have had an implementation plan in place by the end of October. So uh, with those implementation plans, and we, let's call them project plans, because I think that's easiest to understand it, of how to get to the end position where you are complying with the consumer duty. 
hopefully there will have been milestones, key milestones within those project plans to actually assess how far you and how likely you are in uh, in terms of achieving compliance with the with the duty. But as Matthew quite rightly said, you'll never get perfection, and, and aiming for perfection is probably not there. But certainly. Um, thinking about those four outcomes that the FCA wants and, and how you actually are, are complying with them. Because actually, if we break them down, they're very, very simple. The four outcomes are we can buy products and services that meet our needs and our characteristics. We pay a price that represents fair value. Uh, when firms communicate with us as, as retail customers, and I'll, and I'll come on to that definition in, in a moment, as, we, as, as retail customers, communications are timely and they are such that they help us make an informed decision about the products we buy. And finally, that we get the support we need as retail customers uh, to enjoy the benefits of our products and services that we've bought, which in the insurance world is, um, most, uh, I think you could probably say the, the most uh, obvious example is actually when you need to make a claim, you get that claim paid and you get it paid quite quickly. Sarah, well, I, I imagine some people, especially even the talk of project plans, will of course panic in some quarters. Um, what, what would you be advising people who are kind of at the stage where they're still scratching their heads and thinking, how the heck am I going to be ready for July? Yeah, well, I mean, as David said, all firms should have prepared their in implementation plan by October. Um, but the FCA did say that that could be almost a plan for a plan. So the level of detail in those plans wasn't consistent across the market. So those that did only approve a plan for a plan, still have a lot of work to do. Um, and that primarily consists of a gap analysis. So a look at where they are now and where they need to be, identifying those gaps and then having a plan to fill those gaps um, and then actually doing the work to, to fill those gaps. So um, there, is, there is so much work to do. Um, and then of course, the board as well needs to be comfortable um, with where the firm is on consumer duty. Um, ultimately, um, the board needs to sign off on all of this and they need to attest to the fact that the um, the firm has implemented the consumer duty. So it's, it's on everybody's radar and it really needs to be led from the top um, in, in an insurance company. And as Matthew touched on, the regulator isn't necessarily looking for perfection. So from July onwards, Sarah, what kind of conversations and outcomes do you expect the FCA to be expecting to see being delivered by that point? Yeah, so um, the July 2023 deadline is for insurers to apply the consumer duty to their open products, so the products that they're still selling to the market. Um, and then there's another 12 months um, to July 2024 when the they need to be able to demonstrate they've applied the consumer duty to their closed products. So the focus really is on those live products um, at the moment. Um, and uh, once, once the firms have obviously... Um, done that, um, then they do need to continually review what they do. These uh, annual assessments of um, value, for example, should really be done on a continuous basis, on an annual basis. Um, they obviously need to be done for new products when they get introduced. They need to be done for changes to products or to processes and systems um, to see that the firm can continue to meet the, the outcomes that the consumer duty requires. Matthew, as it was touched, I mean, in terms of the outcomes that they're setting as part of the duty, um, that's one thing. But kind of what, what when they ha when the regulator turns up and is having those conversations from July onwards, what kind of outcomes, tangible outcomes, will be insurers be expected to be t talking about and having delivered? I think the FCA will be looking at 
what is it that the insurer is measuring? What MI, for example, is, is the board getting and what are they looking at? And how have they decided that those are the relevant measures? Um, uh, one would hope that in, the, in many cases there, there may be a sort of a constructive dialogue. I don't think one should assume that the FCA is coming in automatically to, to, to find fault and, and then you know, take people down the enforcement route. One would hope, I think there is an acknowledgement on the part of the FCA that this is not straightforward. It, I mean, I've got a quote here and it says in, it, this involves complexity and judgment. So there is, one would hope, an acknowledgement of that on an ongoing basis within the FCA. And they may say, well, we think you should be looking at something else, a different measure or whatever. Um, so one would hope it would be, in most cases, at least it would be a constructive dialogue, and, uh, but also just trying to understand, I think a lot of it goes down to culture. Has the firm taken on board, you know, culturally, from the top down, as Sarah said, um, the importance of the consumer duty, and, and has it sort of implemented that throughout all its processes, throughout the organisation? If it's done that, then it's relatively easy to say, we think you should tweak this, tweak that, and you can, the regulator can go away and be confident that that will happen. If it doesn't see that cultural uh, you know, adoption mm. of, of, of the principles, then I think that's when it'll have concerns. David, would you agree? So obviously MI, vitally important, but also the outcome the, the FCA perhaps is looking for is the ability to have that conversation about the, what, how the plan's being implemented, what the tangible benefits have been. Would you agree? That's yes, the absolutely. I think uh, Matthew's absolutely right on this. One of the requirements is that firms are consistently monitoring from July uh, that they're achieving good outcomes for their customers. So it's actually a requirement also on the boards to sign off every year. So it is an annual requirement rather than the one-off to say that um, they're happy with the monitoring and happy with the outcomes that the monitoring's actually uh, produced. Uh, so how are we doing that? And certainly um, the FCA has focused a lot of this around cultural change. I think, as Matthew quite rightly said, and it's, it's around things like the, the, the four drivers of, of culture, um, one of them being governance, but another one being purpose. So what are you there to achieve as an organisation apart from making a profit? Because you're allowed to make a profit, but actually, what's the purpose of the organisation? So culture is very much part of this, and, and uh, certainly the monitoring. What does the monitoring find? And then what are you doing with that information? Because information's great, but if you don't do anything with it, it's wasted. So actually, you're collecting information about the outcomes your customers are receiving. What are you doing with that information? Which leads me nicely on to, you know, what do insurers need to be doing to make sure that they continue to meet the ongoing requirements of the duty? I mean, David, you touched on there. This, it, when it comes to culture, it's not just about perhaps having a conversation with the board. It's about being able to talk to anybody in the organisation and then being able to perhaps articulate how what they're doing is in the consumer's benefit. Would you agree? Is yes, that, very yeah. much so. That's what, another one of the drivers of culture is people mm. and this people having the skills to actually make sure that they understand their, their work and to deliver good outcomes. And what does it mean to them in their role? Um, so yes, very much so. So what should insurers be doing to make sure that they're continuing to meet it? Is it very much not just making sure perhaps boxes are ticked in terms of it being on board agendas and being in parts of you know the product um, process? Is it about making sure that, ha how do you monitor it, that it is permeating the entire culture of the organisation? So that's a very big challenge. It is a big challenge and I think what shouldn't be missed is uh, you've heard mention of the, the different FCA rule books, the print in the principles for business. You've heard about product, the product governance. Uh, let's not forget the code of conduct rule book, COCON, because within that there's going to be a new uh, principle for every member or staff 
to um, work to deliver good outcomes for consumers. So it's it's actually making sure there is that education piece for staff as well to make sure they understand there's an obligation on them personally to deliver good outcomes. Mm. Matthew, what, so what should insurers be doing to make sure that they meet the ongoing requirement? Well, I think, I mean... Uh, one of, I mean, there's a number of things, and, and different insurers. There isn't a sort of single solution because different solu- insurers will come up with their own, you know, model that works works for them. But one of the things I think is uh, that the insurers can certainly think about is trying to empower their, their colleagues to to take uh, to take the initiative or to at least identify and and proactively deal with situations that don't fit into the normal, you know, situation, the normal scenario that they they may have been trained to deal with, so that they're not just giving a sort of automated response in effect to, to customers but what their response reflects the particular circumstances that the customer be in which may be that may be because of a vulnerability or just an unusual situation and something that you know, the normal rules haven't haven't foreseen so it's giving uh, giving colleagues that that autonomy to make some of those decisions themselves and, and as David says to act in the best interests of clients not simply to follow the rules and the process and I mean it's one thing to, to say that it's it's another thing to actually Make, me, make sure that people actually have the confidence to do that in, in practice and know that they can do that. So that's, that's the kind of thing that I think firms should be thinking about because it's not something you can, you, you can't have the board telling, you know, mm-hmm. at each individual case what the fair outcome is. You've got to give people the autonomy to, to, to determine that for themselves. And I think, you know, most people know instinctively what is a fair and reasonable outcome. The reason why you don't always get it is because they're caught up in a process which they think they have to follow. So you know, giving people a bit more flexibility, obviously within within sensible parameters, I think is is probably a, w- a good way to go to, to achieve that. Sarah, what do you recommend insurers do to make sure they meet the ongoing requirements? It is it is a massive challenge to basically you know make sure that it's a, a, an ongoing cultural piece, not just a one-off educational piece. It's uh, how do you, how yeah, do they, you go about doing it? I think it's also about sharing what good outcomes mean for that particular product or that particular firm because the FCA's words are all very nice and they make perfect sense but actually practically within my company what does a good outcome look for this product for this type of customer and if you're able to share that and to get your teams to understand that then I think that goes a long way to helping um, make sure that you're able to meet those good outcomes for your customers. Um, I think also we haven't talked about sort of um, complaints, we talked about data and things and and I think complaints are also a really good source of MI because ultimately the complaints and the the type of complaints you receive will indicate where potentially you have um, practices or products that maybe don't provide good outcomes for your clients so um, if you're able to use that data and sort of have that feedback loop into your product development and your product processes um, then I think that will go a long way also to uh, help you achieve good customer outcomes. And in terms of complaints data um, touching on there um, how do you feel the FCA will monitor whether or not insurers are meeting the requirement and what potential action um, could come off the back of um, the FCA perceiving that insurers are failing to meet requirements. Yeah, so I I believe the FCA have said they're going to work very closely with FOS on complaints. So they're going to be, I mean, they already monitor complaints anyway, but very closely monitoring um, complaints. And that data will help them then to target their supervisory activity. So where they see um, complaints around a particular type of product or a particular firm, um, that will then inform the supervisory approach. Um, as it already does to some extent, um, but they will be looking to see that those complaints are coming down 
I think with the with the um, implementation of the consumer duty. Matthew, what do you think the repercussions would be with the regulator for failing to meet the requirements? Uh, I mean, obviously, there's the potential for enforcement action against the firm, but um, I think depending on the nature of the the short the, the shortcoming that the regulators identified. Uh, I think we may well see action against individuals under the senior managers um, regime, um, partly because there's a bit of, I think, political frustration that there haven't been more actions in that regard, so it would sort of tick that box. Um, but also, particularly if it's a failing of culture, then that is an individual failing of, at, a, at a board level or senior manager level, um, or as likely as likely to be. So, so I think individuals in that, in that, at that level should be concerned personally um, in terms of actions the regulator might take as well as obviously in terms of uh, action they may take uh, against the firm um, and I think the key thing that, that it's important to think about is is there's always been an element of what used to be called sort of like criminology reading what the FCA is saying and taking it on board and trying to be ahead of the game so um, I mean you know, just on the day we're recording this podcast the FCA has put something out around the cost of living crisis I mean if you look at the things there those are all things that should be part of your Good outcomes, even though the consumer duty isn't yet in force. In effect, you know, so it's it's making sure that you are always aware of, of what's coming down the track from the regulator and trying to stay one one step ahead. Um, I think is is a good way of trying to trying to avoid that that kind of situation happening. What what you don't want is you know the FCA coming along and speaking to you know senior manager and not the senior manager not even really being to being able to articulate what mm. the consumer duty is, for example. Then you've clearly got a you know. It's pretty much an open goal, open goal there for the FCA to, to shoot at in terms of any enforcement action. Um, David, what are you anticipating the FCA will do if if you turn up, if they turn up and you're not able to articulate what the consumer duty, let alone what you're doing? Yes, um, I think Matthew is absolutely right. I think there is a focus now more on individuals. So, um, as a supervisor, you might uh, ask the question, "What are you doing to gain comfort for yourself?" And that's yourself as an individual that your department, your section, whatever, is achieving a good outcome for retail customers. Um, and that, as Matthew quite rightly said, it's, if you can't articulate that, then there's a question about your own control framework and about your oversight. But let's actually make sure we understand retail customers as well, because uh, it means different things in different sectors. And, f and for the insurance sector, it's practically anybody, personal lines or commercial, with the exception of contracts of large risks and reinsurance. Um, and if you actually look at things like the Vulnerable Customer Code that Matthew mentioned earlier, that, that also refers to retail customers and this term retail customers, albeit that was written when retail customers meant individuals buying in their own right. Now it's anybody other than contracts of large risks, other than reinsurance. And probably the slight difference between what the product governance rules have at the moment and the uh, consumer duty is, is it, it, it also doesn't apply to the arranging of group policies. Uh, as long as the firm doesn't have direct contact with new members of that group policy. Um, so there is that wider thing. I think if we think about it as retail customers, we automatically assume, oh, it's just consumer business, it's personal lines. I'm a wholesale firm, it doesn't apply to me. Oh, well, actually, yes, it does. Mm. And if you're working in commercial, yes, it does. So do you, so do you think um, it's also, so in terms of it's, a, as I think everyone's touched on, it's a change in regulatory approach as well in terms of very much about culture, as it has been across other... Um, recent um, regulatory um, changes, but also in terms of a changing definition of what they consider to be a consumer so that more firms are kind of caught within the remit of the rules that they're producing now because a consumer isn't just 
it's it's a far wider definition and firms need to get their heads around that would you agree David? Yes absolutely I think there's been a, a morphing of the FCA's focus from just ordinary consumers um, to first SMEs then now uh, sorry to the micro businesses now to the wider definition of an SME of someone up to about 250 employees so you actually will have the situation where a retail customer can actually be many times the size of a, of a firm. Um, and I think there's, that's something that firms themselves have to understand. Mm. Do, uh, and Matthew, would you agree that they're there in that understanding or are they still on the uh, journey? I think a number are still on that journey. I mean, at DSC Beechcroft, we did a talk at the beginning of October to a number of our insurance clients. And I put in almost as an afterthought to just a slide showing the scope of it. And I think every single question we had was about that one slide on the, on the scope because it is counterintuitive, slightly ironically for the consumer duty where a key emphasis is on clarity and, and so on, that it's not actually just about consumers or retail customers. Um, uh, and as David implied, it, there are some odd sort of um, you know, uh, exceptions, but they're not that easy to, to police. So you can get, again, an odd situation where a commercial client for one policy is within the scope of the duty and for another policy is outside the scope, even though it could be the same broker, they're dealing with the same insurer who's underwriting the policy. Um, I mean, it's important not to get too hung up on it because that may not, you may not actually do anything different in practice. But nevertheless, it's, it's quite in terms of you know, your policing and your reporting and what MI you're collecting, it, it's quite odd to be collecting MI in relation to part of the risk you're writing for, for one insured and not the other part. Um, so, so there are sort of a number of oddities uh, around that, which I think it's probably, it'd probably be worth, you know, certainly commercial insurers going back over and looking and making sure they have got the scope right once they've sort of completed the initial review. Sarah, would you agree it's vital to make sure you've got your scope right if you're going to please the FCA? Absolutely, and, and it's really the first thing that you should do. And, and we, we've also seen examples of firms with commercial customers who thought they were outside of scope. Um, so it's, it's very, very important to get that scope very clear at the outset. So to conclude, I'm just going to go around everyone quickly and ask them to sum up. If you're in the race up until July and you're concerned, what's the one thing you should be doing right now about the consumer duty as an insurer? Well, certainly as an insurer, I'd be saying to my staff, uh, don't think you're starting from a blank piece of paper because actually a lot of what you're doing is complying with the consumer duty and the way you're helping customers on a daily basis. So, so don't worry too much, but think about the outcomes that customers are receiving. Matthew? I think I'd say focus on your distribution channels and the parties you interact with when you're distributing your products, because that's, I mean, there's an earlier deadline, apart from anything else, for the 30th of April to provide the information to those distributors. But also that's probably going to be the hardest thing to, to, to have control over. So start that early sort that pinch point out quite soon. Sarah, what's your last takeaway? Um, I think I would say make sure you engage your board um, because this really should be driven by the board um, and it's essential that it is if you want to implement it appropriately. Thanks ever so much. Clearly the consumer duty is something that um, we'll be talking about not just in the run-up to um, July but ongoing for many years to come I imagine and hopefully talking about some of the benefits it's brought to the industry. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Insurance Post podcast. I'd like to thank David, Sarah and Matthew for joining us and sharing their insight on what insurers need to do to meet the FCA's consumer duty requirements. As always, also thanks to you for listening to the Insurance Post podcast. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to Insurance Post and following us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter. 
Make sure you come back next week for a discussion about how the cost of living crisis is impacting motor insurance. Until then, this is Emran Hughes, signing off. The Insurance Post podcast is a product of InfoPro Digital.